This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. All right, let's talk about what's been going on in Hong Kong just over the last couple of days. I mean, never mind the news from the last few weeks when we saw the protests really ramping up. It has gotten even more so in the last few days. The United States consul in Hong Kong has condemned the violence among government critics but and says... All should have the right to express their views peacefully. Over the weekend marked the 20, I think 25th uh, anniversary, or sorry, the one of the anniversaries, should be 22, 1997, this 22nd anniversary of the handover of Hong Kong from the British uh, back to China. And so hundreds of demonstrators were protesting. Then they ended up storming the legislature. Uh, they wrote graffiti on the walls. They continued their protest. The Consul General, Kurt Tong, says the U.S. would have preferred to see more peaceful protests. The view of the United States is that the right for uh, freedom of expression is both most effective and most proper when it is exercised peacefully. And so the United States, like many people, was disappointed to see the uh, violence and vandalism yesterday in the Legislative Council. I think what the protesters want is to make sure they keep up the pressure against the government to withdraw that extradition bill, and they continue to to demand the resignation of leader Carrie Lam. Meanwhile, Chinese state media has now run footage of police in Hong Kong clearing protesters from the streets. That has actually been a break. Uh, They've had nothing but silence in Chinese state media uh, with all the other protests that have been going on over the last few days. So we wanted to talk more about this. Joining us is Joanna Chu, who's the managing editor of Star Vancouver, former correspondent in China and Hong Kong. Joanna, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Do you think that the protests kind of ramped up more in the last couple of days? I think what's happening is that it's been weeks and actually it's been years of Hong Kongers protesting, you know, different um, things that they see as assaults to the freedom they're supposed to enjoy for at least 50 years after Hong Kong was handed in 1997 from the British back to China. So I think... From an outside perspective, it seems like they're raising up the pressure um, and that it's a concerted effort. But the protests, um, actually, they're leaderless. There's not um, a designated leader who's telling people what to do. It's kind of like a group activity. And yesterday, July 1st, for Canada, it couldn't be more different. They were celebrating our freedom, how lucky we are. In Hong Kong, every year they have a handover march where they're protesting, um, being under China's rule again and what has happened since then. Actually, tens of thousands of people were marching peacefully through the streets as they do every year. Mm -hmm. It was about um, a few hundred protesters splintered off, broke away, and they went towards the legislature building and stormed in. They broke the glass. Um, And I think it's since then, people have been very divided over this in Hong Kong. People are arguing amongst themselves. um, And a lot of people don't agree with what the protesters did, the small group that went into LegCo. Um, but I think it's a sign of how desperate people are. This, is, this isn't an issue that's been going on for weeks. It's been going on for the past couple of decades. So people are frustrated. They yeah. see that media comes and covers when they have a big march, um, but there's not like concerted um, attention and in- involvement from world um, governments, et cetera, on what's happening in Hong Kong. And they feel really frustrated and desperate. So you mentioned there that, you know, they were Hong Kong was supposed to be guaranteed 50 years of continued kind of freedom 
from China when they signed that deal with the British. But what has happened, would you say, over the last 20 plus years then? Yeah, so it's gone to the point where a lot of people don't know that Hong Kong booksellers who publish books that are critical of the Chinese leadership in Beijing, they were actually disappeared and they ended up just showing up in Chinese jails um, on Chinese state media making these confessions that looked, by all accounts, fake and forced. Um, one of the booksellers has now doesn't even feel safe being in Hong Kong and he has moved to Taiwan. So people don't feel physically safe there. They think that they could be taken if they do something that uh, China considers rebellious. Um, and that's why people are so scared about this extradition bill, because that could formalize things where um, through the legal system, Hong Kongers could end up facing the legal system in China. Uh, and we have two Canadians still in the Chinese uh, legal system right now, no access yeah. to lawyers. Um, they were detained in December after Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou was uh, arrested in St. Cooper. Um, and they have, they're taken in this uh, secret jail type of situation in China where it really exposes and makes clear to the world, kind of demonstrates why Hong Kongers are so scared. They're scared of facing China's legal system and they're worried that um, it won't be um, done, you know, properly through proper legal means. Actually, thousands of Hong Kong lawyers um, march in the streets wearing all black, around 3,000 of them. So it's something that the, a lot of the city professionals have united over in opposition to this bill, including legal professionals who don't have um, faith in uh, Beijing. Right. Do you, think, do, yeah, do you think that there was faith in the beginning that, oh, yes, Hong Kong will be allowed to continue on as is? Yeah, I think in the beginning, some people may have had more optimism, but actually a lot of people, people who had uh, lived through witnessing and observing um, in 1989 when Chinese soldiers fired on protesters in Beijing in the Tiananmen massacre, a lot of people saw that and actually they immigrated away from Hong Kong well in advance of the 1997 handover. My family was one of the people, many Hong Kongers who decided to leave, you know, preemptively. Yeah. So I think if you see migrants all over the world from Hong Kong, a lot of them, maybe the majority of them, have left because they didn't want to live under Chinese rule in Hong Kong. Right. And you were a correspondent in China and Hong Kong. What are mm -hmm. the differences there? Like, tell people what it's like to work in one mm -hmm. versus the other. Yeah, in Hong Kong, first I worked for actually a Hong Kong newspaper. And there is, um, I encountered and my colleagues encountered really mysterious and strange incidents of self-censorship and stories we were writing that were critical of China not being allowed to be published, kind of pressure that we sensed and heard of from higher-ups. And um, and a, a senior editor for a Hong Kong newspaper, Ming Pao, he was actually attacked with a meat cleaver. Um, he was slashed three times in the back after his newspaper produced an investigative article related to China. So living there as a journalist in Hong Kong actually was more scary for me than um, working in China, because in China I work for foreign media um, versus local media in Hong Kong, where things are really precarious. Press freedom has been going down, according to Hong Kong Journalist Association surveys, year after year. Um, people don't trust the system. They don't really get clear answers about where this pressure comes from. Yeah. So it's just a state of anxiety. But it's real. People have been attacked physically, but... You know, the people haven't, the attackers, you know, you don't know who sent them. Um, right. It's all very scary, you know. And you're going back, isn't that right? You're going, are you going for a visit? 
Yeah, I'm going uh, for the next week. I'm flying later today. Um, it's such a big story. <laughs> I have to be there to see for myself and talk to the people there. And um, Canada has such a huge stake in Hong Kong. Um, 300,000 Canadians um, are also Hong Kong citizens, dual citizens. So that's a, lot. It's a big story. Yeah, that's yeah, a, a huge story. story for Canada. I, I'm not sure that like everybody understands that, right? When we talk about mm-hmm. this, this is not an international story. This is a story with which Canada is indelibly linked. Yes. So what happens to those 300,000 people? Do you think there's a sense, a growing sense of nervousness there? Are people going to start leaving Hong Kong? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, they got Canadian passwords because they're one of the many people who were scared um, of staying in Hong Kong. And some people may decide that um, they would you know, move back to Canada. Um, and also they might be putting more pressure on their government uh, they have a lot of Canadian Hong Kongers have been organizing protests of their own here uh, in Vancouver, Toronto, Calgary. Um, and it could be even an uh, election issue uh, coming up this year. Um, a lot of Hong Kong Canadians, that's a big group, 300,000 people. Yeah. It could be definitely an election issue, especially if they start moving back here. Uh, that safety net, as you pointed out, was always there mm-hmm. for a reason. Mm-hmm. Are people starting, do you think, come to the realization that? things are not going to get better? Yeah, I think there's been a long time kind of a sense of kind of resignation, depression among a lot of Hong Kongers. In a way, it's kind of an anticlimactic story where um, 50 years, the end result that's always been clear was that Hong Kong would would be part of China and there wouldn't be the existing uh, two systems issue now where Hong Kong currently should have some independence. Right. Um, so it's marching towards that time. I think you see that a lot of the more desperate and the violent protesters are people who are young, because um, 2047, that's their future. Um, that's their middle age, and they feel not optimistic about their future as things are going right now. How does China benefit from that, though, Joanna? Like, if they gradually take over Hong Kong, Hong Kong is this international symbol of finance mm-hmm. and, and, you know, prosperity, but if China takes over, wouldn't a lot of those businesses leave? Mm-hmm. Already business um, businesses have spoken out about what's been happening because it's not a stable environment to conduct business, Um it doesn't seem a lot of people of comedy doesn't seem quite logical because yeah. So China also wants Taiwan to come into the fold. Um, so logically, it would seem that they would treat Hong Kong well and be like, "Look, Taiwan, um, Hong Kong is part of China, but it kind of retains um, a lot of its rights and freedoms, so it's not so bad. So you should become part of us." But uh, I think a place like Taiwan, looking at what's happening in Hong Kong, wouldn't feel very uh, reassured at all. No, no, I wouldn't think so either. <laughs> Listen, Joanna, good luck with your trip. We look forward to reading your reports. Thank you. Thank you. That is Joanna Chu for the managing editor of Star Vancouver.